This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. podcast where we delve into those frustrating moments with some well-known people and of course joining me as ever it's the lovely Giles Paley Phillips how are you mate? <laughs> the lovely I'm all right thanks we're actually recording remotely today we are indeed this is this is a bit of a brave yeah. new world for us really isn't it it's a very brave new world I'm not sure <laughs> I like it <laughs> well so far it's working so we'll yeah. see what happens but in in a similar vein you know we've got someone <clears> on today who is in the midst of all the Brexit shambles, which is also kind of a brave new world for, for oh, everyone, really, isn't it? Brave new world. <laughs> and not the things I would usually say about Brexit. <laughs> no, but it's certainly very uncertain, much like this remote recording. Yeah. Um, that person, of course, is, is Caroline Lucas. Yes. Uh, from the Green Party. I have to put a, put it out there that I am a member of the Green Party and Caroline Lucas is my favourite MP possibly yeah. ever. It's basically the kind of like meeting a rock star. Yeah. This week. So I was actually more nervous so than I have been with any of our previous There's guests. absolutely zero political bias on this podcast. Um, <laughs> I just thought I'd lay it out there. Well, no, I think it's good. I, I think she's one of those people's, like your favourite MP, you know, like you've got a second team. Like everyone wanted <laughs> Leicester yeah. to win the league. Everyone wants Caroline Lucas to be the Prime Minister. Would that be a fair? Yeah, very true. Although I think the, the odds the of Leicester winning the league were 5,000 to 1. I think <laughs> yeah. the odds of the Green Party being in power are probably, unfortunately, much, much. Can we talk about this on the pod? Because obviously, like, you know, if of course. proportional representation yeah. came in, they'd have more well, seats in the House of Commons. But we, I think, we yeah, and I think she says they, they got like a million votes, well. over a million votes in the last election. So clearly there's something going wrong with the electoral system <laughs> well we know that <laughs> we know that um very much so but um and obviously you know it's timely because uh we yeah. had the the brexit march last week and um we're supposedly leaving the eu this friday which obviously isn't going to happen so um it's all it's all a bit crazy and that's why we thought that we put this the, the Unfortunately, i couldn't make it to the march were you there jim and how was it was, was the atmosphere yes, was it looked amazing it was, it was great it was it was friendly it was like a party vibe everyone was very respectful lots of funny chants lots of funny banners <laughs> um it was great as i've yeah. been to quite a few marches and they're always like that to be honest it's um yes it's like having a big party with a million unless it's friends. a uh, pro brexit March I think uh, it was a brilliant I heard on the news this well, week yeah. uh, days after the march where they said there's a million people turned out in London for the second referendum march and in Nottingham or Leicester somewhere Nigel Farage was marching with 
200 people. Now, fortunately, it came across as like a bit of piss take. <laughs> yeah. You know, those are the figures. You can't... Uh, and we all saw, we all saw Incredible. the Incredible. on Saturday as well. And it was amazing seeing so many people crammed. I mean, there was, a, there was a great shot from the BBC where you had people in Parliament Square doing the speeches. It was just amazing seeing this sort of sea of people. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yes. It was brilliant. Um, well, listen, let's talk to someone obviously who was there on Saturday mm. and was talking and who knows a lot of it's all this stuff good. very well. And of course, we get into it. Uh, so should we just crack on with, with this week's guest? OK, okay this is uh, Caroline yeah, Lucas sure, yeah, on The Blank I'm Podcast. Sure. So, Caroline Nickers, welcome to the Black Podcast. Thank you very Lovely much. To see you. Thank you. Um, I was looking through. Obviously, we try and do a bit of research on this program, not mm. too much. But <laughs> <laughs> you were you were born in Worcestershire, is that right? Worcestershire, yeah, yeah in Malvern. Yeah, Malvern, yeah, famous for water and hills and that sort of thing. Yeah. How was how was school? School. Um, I quite enjoyed school in a way. Um, uh, I made some fantastic friends who were who were still friends today um was a bit rebellious but you know not so rebellious that I got chucked out which yeah. is always a good sign <laughs> um and um and actually to be fair I had some really fantastic teachers so yeah not much that I can really complain about no and that's primary school and secondary school was you there for secondary school as well yeah I was yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there all the way through yeah, yeah. yeah. you were the right level of rebellious I, I, I like to think so, because in the end they made me a prefect, which of course is a, a sign of, 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 of great achievement, but actually I think they just decided that they'd have me on the inside and I might be slightly, slightly <laughs> yeah. less... Um, Did you get a special badge? Because I think I was a prefect of primary school and I got a special badge. I got a, a tie, actually, a very oh, nice okay. blue tie. It was really, okay. yeah. Was, was it the kind that. of prefect where you got people to tuck their shirts in? And no, no, not really. You just had to check everyone had turned up, and yeah, yeah, people weren't out playing truant, and that was the big oh, thing. Okay, I never got to be prefect. So I'm uh, on that you party. weren't rebellious enough. That's I obviously. Wasn't <laughs> enough, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I do remember being prefect, and it, and I do remember the pressure of being a prefect a little Didn't bit. You, you must yeah. have taken it very seriously. I think, I think I did. I think I think it was like because it was kind of. I remember them saying, you know, they chose about five or six of us and we had to stay behind after class and they said well you've been chosen I think it was that kind of level of responsibility <laughs> suddenly forced upon you to be this uh, you know kind of custodian for the, the values of the school I think. And, and has it had an impact on the no, rest of your life? No, no, I'm very scruffy and, and uh, yeah it hasn't had any impact on me at all so I, I probably was the wrong person to be chosen for that role. I can't imagine you being rebellious or anything like that no, Charles, no. But, that, but Caroline, that rebellious streak, I mean, that sort of continued, didn't it, into political life and everything, didn't it? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, my family weren't at all political. Um, well, I mean, they read the Daily Mail, so I suppose that's quite political in a way. But, um, <laughs> but we never talked politics. It was quite a, a sort of a, yeah, a right-wing upbringing, I guess. So I certainly rebelled against that. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it, it's just it's so funny looking back at, at growing up and, and meal mealtimes when... You know, not much was spoken at all, actually, but but certainly not about politics. And it just is such a contrast now. I mean, my poor kids never get, get a <laughs> spare <laughs> yeah, moment yeah. from uh, from 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 big debates and discussions and so forth. But yeah, it feels very odd now looking back on it and thinking how, how strange that we weren't actually really kind of getting stuck into the big issues of the day over 
over breakfast. Wait, do you know what that might have been? Why, you, why, why it wasn't there? It was an unspoken kind of thing. I think it was almost an embarrassment about yeah. it. You know, there was a sort of that feeling, isn't there, that it's not nice to kind of talk about things you might disagree about yeah. or, or whatever. So it was just tucked away. Yeah. yeah, but disagreeing is part of learning, isn't it? Certainly yeah. is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's been yeah. a steep learning curve. No matter how trying that is, <laughs> yeah. you need to do. Yeah. understand other people's point of view yeah, so that no, you can indeed. then kind of broaden or even change yours. That's kind of okay, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. No, we never really did have those discussions. And um, I think, you know, when I joined the Green Party or, or, or whatever, they, they genuinely were, my parents genuinely were just utterly perplexed. Like, <laughs> why yeah. would you do that? Um, and, and I think they've been in a state of perplexedness for, for, for a long time <laughs> since, actually. What, what drew you to that side of the debate, is it like? Actually, I got involved in, in green politics in its broadest sense through CND, the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament. I mean, growing up in the, well, not growing up in the, but, but, but sort of being a, a, as a sort of teenager at the end of the 70s, early 80s, then you, um, y- you really were aware, I think, of the very real dangers of, yeah. of nuclear weapons. And there were quite a few films on the TV um, you know, talking like, like this one called 1984 and, and, you know, what were the other ones? When the Wind Blows. When the and Wind these, Blows, I'm thinking. Yeah, and, and these were really horrific, um, but, but, you know, genuinely based on what could happen type yeah. films. So it, it was really a very serious presence, I think, in, in, in my mind at least at, at that time. So I joined CND, got very involved with them. And, and then, you know, I've been also involved in some environment groups and women's groups. And it just felt like on a different night each week, I was kind of being pulled in different directions, doing different things and not seeing the connections between them. And that was what was so wonderful about, about discovering Green, the Green Party, really. There was a book by Jonathan Porritt called Seeing Green. Um, and, and he makes the connections between all these different aspects of, of my activism or campaigning or life that I hadn't seen the connections between before. And that was both incredibly refreshing and it also freed up some evenings because I only yeah. had to go to Green Party <laughs> yeah, 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 instead of all yeah, these other ones. So, <laughs> yeah, so that was you good. Exactly, one, just, yeah. just sort that out and then we're done. <laughs> it's nice, I guess, when you, when you find um, that there are other people that think like you. Absolutely, and it really was a light bulb moment re- reading that book. Um, I looked at it again just recently. It was written in, um, I think it was written in 84 and I read it in 86. So it's a long time ago, but I reread it, um, and, and it's still incredibly timely, which is slightly concerning, given that you know we haven't yeah, made yeah, much progress yeah, yes, in, in, yeah. in many of the areas that he discusses. But there, well, there was just this real excitement that there was a whole movement out there, and I remember literally you, you know, joining the Green Party on the day that I finished that book. I was doing some research up in London, and... Um, and just turned the and I was living in this really kind of grotty bed sitting in Clapham and, and, and finished the book, turned it over and saw that the Green Party office or the Ecology Party as it was then was based in the Clapham High Road. So this seemed to be a moment of great um, significance. So I yeah. marched up and down the Clapham High Road, you know, confidently expecting to find a very large building that would be the uh, Green Party <laughs> office and eventually found a broom cupboard, uh, yeah. which was it, but nonetheless signed up and yeah, that was it. And was there any of your peers around that time that was, were doing that as well was it or were you very much alone in in seeking out the green party i think i mean there were plenty of other people involved obviously in, in mm. things like cnd and so forth but 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 actually membership was very small in in mm. those days i mean it was probably only about sort of three or four thousand so so no it, it did seem to be a um a minority pursuit mm. but uh, once you do join of course then you do find you know some, some, some great yeah. friends and people sharing that same that same viewpoint I mean, I think the point was that, you know, people would, would have agreed with 
you know, many, if not most, of the policies of, of, of the Green Party, but we struggled then, as we do now, with a hideous electoral system that just makes yeah, it incredibly yeah. hard to make progress. Um, and I think you know people probably would have decided to try a different route to, to the same end, although I don't think that went very well either. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what? So moving forward a little bit, obviously you you became more involved with the Green Party. Yeah. Um, what made you want to? stand for election? So the first time I stood for election, well actually I stood several times to be a, to be a, a member of parliament, mm. so, I, so, I, so I stood in, in, in Oxford, but the first time I actually was elected um, was to Oxfordshire County Council, um, and then following that as a, a member of the European Parliament, mm. and, then, and then finally as a, an MP. And I guess, I mean it really is that sense of wanting to make a difference, I mean that sounds a bit trite, but it is true that you're trying to deal with a whole system that mm. feels that it's going in the wrong direction. And so although single-issue campaigns all have their part to play and they can be very important, mm. it just feels so often that actually what we're up against is an economic system that prioritises completely the wrong way forward. Um, and, and so you're constantly struggling with a bigger system than the particular aspect that you're, you know, any particular campaign yeah. might be about. Um, and when it came to, to standing for the... European elections, I mean, I remember very clearly I'd, I'd had a meeting with Glenis Kinnock, who, who um, obviously uh, wife of, of the former Labour leader, Neil Kinnock, and, uh, and an MEP, member of the European Parliament, really, really uh, effective in her own right. She's now a member of the House of Lords. Mm. But I remember I was working for Oxfam at the time, and I was lobbying her about trade policy. Um, and I just remember during this conversation when, when we were in Brussels and she was sitting on the other side of the desk, obviously, in her office, and I was there saying, you know, this is what I think should happen. And I just thought, God, it'd be so nice just to be the other side of the desk, yeah, <laughs> just be the person yeah. that could go away and do this stuff yeah, rather than yeah. having to be asked to do it. So, uh, so that's when I just thought, hang on, this would, this would be a really exciting thing to do. And, of course, the European elections are under a form of proportional representation, a fairer voting system. Sure. So it made it a lot easier to win a, a seat in Brussels than it, than it is here for mm. I guess politics is, is a lot of it's a lot of knockbacks, isn't it? It's a lot of trying to get things done and feeling like you're being proactive and being on that side of the desk and doing things. Yeah, you're, you're constantly getting knocked back and, and, and you're constantly trying to negotiate with people. How, how do you find that side of doing things? Is, is that easy for you or is that a struggle? Um, I mean, at Westminster, I suppose the the, the, the positive thing that, that I discovered was that there is a lot more potential for working cross-party than, than I thought there would be. You know, if you just watch PMQs on the, on the TV, you know, Prime Minister's Questions on a Wednesday lunchtime, you'd just think that these MPs hate yeah. every inch of each other and yeah, they would never yeah. work together to, you know, to save their lives. Whereas, in fact, some of the best work that goes on, I think, in Parliament is in the select committees. I'm a member of the Environmental Audit Select Committee where, where MPs of different parties do work together pretty effectively and, and can get things done. So I think, I think a lesson for me was that Clearly, as one MP out of 650, uh, I'm not going to be able to do very much if I'm simply working uh, on my own. So, mm. so working with others, I think, has, has been a very obvious thing to do. And, and in some ways, it has been quite effective. And I think as well, having spent 10 years in the European Parliament first, that kind of collaboration is much more a way of working in, in the European Parliament. It's just a really interesting little thing that um, in the European Parliament, the word compromise is not a dirty word. Compromise yeah. <laughs> in, in the European Parliament is actually about trying to find enough common ground with each other, with no one feeling that they're being completely shafted, but you can find something that everyone can get behind. And actually, it's, 
it's kind of regarded as quite a noble pursuit to try to find a compromise. Yeah. Whereas the word compromise in British politics is this horrible betrayal, yeah. you know, yeah. you've all sold out. And there was just quite an interesting take on doing politics a little bit differently. And I think, I think those 10 years in the European Parliament actually stood me in good stead for, for trying to reach out, obviously not supporting other parties on mass at all, but on specific issues at specific times. I think the yeah. importance of making those alliances is, 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 is really crucial. something uh, we crucial. could be doing a lot more of, perhaps. I, I think we could, and, and, and funnily enough, I mean, obviously, the, the, the last few days in, in politics shows in a way that that is happening in the sense that Brexit is, is you know, delivering some very odd alliances. Um, yeah. And, uh, the, you know, the, those can be quite uncomfortable, but they can also be a more effective way of actually trying to get majorities in Parliament, in this case, to try and stop what many of us would regard as a fairly disastrous Brexit. Yeah. And is it frustrating being like a lone voice sometimes? I mean, I would give a lot just to have just one other person, just one, you know, it just makes so much difference. And I think one of the things I find most stressful is, you know, any given moment in Parliament, there are 10 different places that I should be, need to be, would be good to be. And, and if just to be able to share that with one other person, say, well, you cover that meeting and I'll do this one, because one of the most frustrating things is that you never know what's going to be on the agenda next and in a way that's a good thing so this speaker that we have now I think is, is a very good speaker when it comes to giving backbenchers more control and so he regularly grants what are called urgent questions which means that on on the day of a, of a you know supposing on, on Monday we decide we want to get Sajid Javid to come and explain why he's deprived Shamima Begum of her citizenship yeah. we can decide that on Monday morning you make an application to the speaker and he'll grant it maybe but you only know if there's going to be an urgent question about an hour or so before there is. And so your whole schedule is constantly up in, in complete limbo because you never know, well, is it safe to make an appointment at three o'clock or, or is there suddenly going to be one urgent question yeah. or two or three or a statement? And it's just that sense of not being in control of, of your own life. And, and just one more MP would make such a difference. Yeah, it seems an arc, almost archaic way of Well, it really is. I mean, a million people voted Green in 2015. Yeah. A million people. And if we'd had a fairer voting system, that would have given us about 20 yeah. MPs, which would have been transformational. Yeah. I mean, it would have just yeah. been extraordinary. And yet we have this horrible electoral system whereby in the last election in 2017, it's been calculated that 68% of the votes that were cast actually made no difference to the results. Yeah. In other words, they were cast in constituencies in where enough had already yeah. been yes. um, uh, cast it to get the first person over the over yeah. the winning line and the, yeah. and the rest didn't count for anything and when you multiply that up across the country and you're suddenly realizing just how many people's views and, and votes aren't well, being... also people are having yeah. to vote tactically yeah 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 unfortunately i live in a constituency that's just like that yeah i don't, yeah, I really, do. don't really feel like my yeah. vote counts yeah at and all. then we wonder why people you know maybe don't bother voting or feel a bit disengaged yeah. or yeah. disillusioned yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Jim, it's us again, and uh, we've got some big news. We have indeed. Uh, Giles, I can't believe I'm saying this. We've written a book, a book about blank moments based on this very podcast. Yeah, we've been recording this podcast for a while now, and as we've been doing, we've realised that everyone has these difficult blank moments. All our wonderful guests that we have on the podcast and our listeners get in touch with us all the time to tell us about their own situations, their own experiences of blank moments. And sometimes that can be from a personal life, from their career, the relationships they're in, or maybe it's a public situation. Yeah, I mean, 
it really it's one of those terms that could be applied to anything social anxiety imposter syndrome just sort of generally being off form having an identity crisis i mean it's all part of the human condition and yet we all get thrown off from time to time and sort of made to feel a bit helpless yeah so the book is made up of all these different chapters that sort of concentrate on these various themes that come up in the pod so whether it's uh, public failure social anxiety fear mental health grief all the things that our amazing guests have talked about on the podcast yeah i mean and those guests include louis theroux david harbour reg d hunter dawn french rachel paris amanda abington john ronson rufus sewell gary lineker all these people that really opened up to us about these difficult moments and what we've done is we've dived into them um explained how we relate to them talked a little bit about our own experiences and almost gone on a journey of this discovering blank moments and how they've helped us and we hopefully we take the reader on a journey with us. Yeah, there's loads of stuff in there for everybody, I think. It's a bit memoir, it's a bit self-help, and there's lots of interactive bits in there as well, so you can do your own gratitude list, and there's tips on uh, if you're having sleeping problems. So all different things that you can take out of the book. And where can people get hold of this book, Jim? Well, so it comes out in March in 2021, but it's available to pre-order right now from Amazon, waterstones.com, and hive.co.uk. Yeah, it's, I'm really looking forward to everyone getting their hands on it. And uh, hopefully lots of people will be able to identify their own blank moments. And you never know what you might find out. Do you think if, if, there was, if the public were more aware of the day-to-day, you've just explained their kind of thing, <coughs> work cross-party working and all that kind of thing, and you're talking there about the diary being all over the place, do you think they'd... Be more engaged with politicians if they understand just exactly what, what you do. Sorry. <coughs> yeah, I think, that, I think they would because um, there is a startling lack of, of, of real explanation of what goes on in Parliament. I mean, it always looks completely bizarre, I think, to anybody looking in. And I know from, from time to time, you know, people will contact me and say, look, there's a debate going on in Parliament and there's only 10 people in the chamber. Why aren't you there? And just trying to explain, well, actually, it clashes with this select committee at exactly the same time. Yeah. And that, for me, takes priority because that's where I can have most influence at this moment, you know. And so that sense of that there's an awful lot more of, of, of an MP's work than what actually happens in, in the chamber at any given moment. So I think, mm. I think people do have a sense that, you know, what are these MPs doing the whole time? Because if they're not in the chamber, they're not working. Mm. And, and that, I think, would be quite useful to, to debunk because we are mostly... Yeah, because yeah, I'm learning now, literally listening to you. I've never really thought about it, but actually I feel like I'm getting a bit well, of an understanding now. One of my questions now. was, what is the average day for an MP? You know, if there is God, an average is, day. is there an average day? <laughs> there is no such thing, I'm sure. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, obviously you've touched on it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, well, I suppose an average day might include two hours in a select committee. I think probably a majority of MPs are on at least one one of those select committees, and that's that process where you... Um, are responsible for scrutinising one area of government activity. So obviously in the case of the Environmental Audit Committee, it's around the government's environmental performance across a range of different areas. Mm. So we might, for example, we just had a, an inquiry into um, sustainable fashion. So, um, you know, the whole kind of fast fashion movement and, and the environmental consequences of that mm-hmm. are huge. I mean, I hadn't realised just how environmentally polluting clothing manufacture is i mean it's right up there with really? transport oh, and aviation and everything I mean else 
if you look at the um, the environmental pollutants that go into the dying of, of denim, for example, there's a whole sea, the Aral Sea, that is practically dead now as a result of pollution going directly wow. into it. Yeah. So I'm afraid it's a whole new thing to worry about. But yeah. but it's quite <laughs> fascinating yeah. because yeah. Uh, so so the committee basically takes evidence on something like like mm. that and meets over for a particular inquiry might might meet for a couple of months and then we write a report and it goes to the government with recommendations and and you can use that to get some kind of influence in terms of changing government policy which might be around you know greater regulation when it comes to some of the standards when it yeah. when it comes to pollution so that might be a couple of hours um, then there might well be an urgent question that's been granted that will be about something really really topical you know so for example when um, Chris Grayling, bless him, and his blooming ferries or lack of ferries. You know, when, <laughs> yeah. when that came out, you know, he was hauled in front of Parliament, and and you'd go and um, cross question him about that. Uh, the government might be making a statement about the latest in Brexit, which is guaranteed to tell you absolutely nothing, but you yeah. kind of feel duty bound to go and you know question them in, in in Parliament then. And then there are any number of meetings that you might have with. Um, so in my case, uh, I'm the chair of the all-party group on climate change, and so I might well be meeting with some of the NGOs working on climate or some of the businesses that have got an interest in you know, greening yeah. business or, or, or whatever. Um, and then there are constituents who will come up uh, and, and meet you up there, or there might be a, a, you know, a meeting that's been organised, say, by um, EU nationals living in Britain who are deeply concerned about the impacts of Brexit for them and they'll organise a big public meeting and you'll go along and speak at that. So, I mean, that's just one day, but it's, yeah. it's a lot of... And that's not even you focusing about your constituency necessarily. No, I mean, yeah. I will try and choose the things that I do to, to, to be the ones that I think are most relevant to, to people in Brighton. And yeah. um, so, for example, uh, Brighton was a very Remain voting area, um, lots of EU nationals based here. Lots of the businesses really concerned. The universities, two universities, huge tourism industry. Mm. Um, you know, lots of concern about what the impacts of Brexit will be here. So that also kind of helps decide where you where you spend your time. Yeah. So Caroline, obviously this pod's about blank moments. I'm just listening to you, thinking, do you ever have any sort of blank moments in the chamber when you're talking? Oh God! Or no, anything I was. Like I was that? <laughs> it's <laughs> funny you should mention that because I don't know if you actually know this, but. Um, but when I was very first elected, um, I was sort of get, trying to get the hang of how, how debates work in Parliament because in the European Parliament, it's incredibly organised and you know in advance you've got two minutes speaking time and you know where you're going to be on the order paper and you certainly, under no circumstances, interrupt anyone else. You know, mm. each person listens to each other in silence. Mm. In Westminster, of course, it's completely different and you're constantly intervening on one another and that essentially means you have to stand up and, and sometimes shout very loudly, you know, will the Honourable Member give way? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and you hope that they do, and sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't, and often there are other people trying to get the person's attention as well, to try, so you're trying to get your little 30 seconds worth sort of on the record and, and challenge the person who's speaking. Anyway, early on, sort of in the first few weeks when I was in, in, in Westminster, it was an education debate, um, and I was getting a little bit too cocky, actually. I was because I was, I was, I'd intervened a few times and thinking, actually, this is quite fun. I can yeah, do this, yeah. you know. And, and there was something else that the speaker said that I found outrageous. And I was leaping to my feet saying, you know, will, will the honourable member give way? And he duly did. And I found myself standing there. God, <laughs> I can't remember what I was going to say. So you start blathering, just, just yeah, you know, yeah. hoping that it's going to come back to you. And in the end, you realise it really isn't. So in the end, to my utter humiliation, I had to say, 
actually, I'm really sorry, I've forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> and sat down and just hoped that the, the grandma uh, swallowed me up. Yeah. And then real concern about, well, what will Hansard say? Because Hansard yes, are the people yeah. that record all of this yeah. diligently, you know, and, and they normally record every tiny little bit of what someone says or what they don't say. Actually, I, I looked the next day, they just put three dots. They didn't actually say, oh. I forgot what I was going to say, <laughs> which is nice of them. But my lesson from that was that I nearly always now just jot down a couple of words and have a pen and paper in front of me so just in case, because yeah. um, that was really hideous. Yeah, especially now the cameras are there. The cameras are there too, no, it did feel quite public. That would be like Twitter, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. No, you can't make mistakes anymore. At least you can't get away with them. It sounds like, Westminster sounds like absolute panto. It is, it it is, and and that's not a good thing really, because it doesn't lead to good debate really, because it just feels like you're constantly trying to score points off one another. And okay, that can be quite you know, on one level, quite entertaining, but actually it doesn't advance the sum of human knowledge or, or constructivity when it comes to, 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 to really trying to make progress. Yeah. It must just be very frustrating, you know, if you're trying to get your point across or trying to change policy or, or, or make real change. It just Does it feel like you're sort of going around in circles sometimes? Well, certainly right now it does. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. with, uh, with Brexit. But, but, but yes, it, it can do. I mean, occasionally you can get some really great debates and, and I wouldn't say that the European Parliament way of doing debates was, was better either, because that's so stultifying. If you can't challenge one another at all, and you're just literally having speech after speech after speech, and no interaction between them because you've already written them. I mean, it's, that is yeah, the, of the sure, other yeah. extreme of, yeah. of you know, pointlessness in a way. So I think you just need a, some Somewhere way of between, having something yeah. in between of those two things. Yeah. Yeah. But there's certain things we can learn, certainly, from the way the European Parliament... I think... I definitely yeah. think so. Yeah. Do you mi- yeah. do you miss the activism? Do you wish you were out doing more activism day well, to day? Well, I I still think I am, um, and I think it's incredibly important that MPs do keep a, a sort of foot in in, in yeah. kind of the real world or in, or the activist world or, or, or whatever. Um, I mean, last Friday it wasn't my strike, obviously, but it, the, the, the the kids were on strike, mm. climate strike, um, and I just found that amazing and was was delighted to kind of speak um, to over a thousand people in, in Brighton and collected a, a, on one of the main uh, areas in, in the city centre. Um, fracking, of course, was was yeah. a big issue that I got very involved in and actually did <laughs> did um, risk arrest and was arrested, um, and that isn't something that I did lightly. And I do recognise as an MP, I've got access to an awful lot more levers than, than the average person in the sense of being able to ask questions to the Prime Minister or put down written questions or get debates or whatever. But for me, fracking is a whole new fossil fuel industry at exactly the time when we've got to leave you know, the vast majority mm. of fossil fuels in, in, the, in the ground. So it's hugely irresponsible. I felt that no one was listening in Parliament or in government, more to the point. Um, and so I, I was arrested. And I was mm. quite worried about how would mm. constituents you know, respond to that. Did they, did they think that was kind of irresponsible or whatever? But but actually, the overwhelming response that I got was was, in, was incredibly positive. And I think there is, there is that sense that, well, quite a lot of people in Brighton themselves had, had been writing to me about the, the fracking going yeah. on in Balkan, which is relatively close yeah. by, and, and, and it is a real concern. And I think, you know, used sparingly and, <laughs> and, and, and with good reason, you, you know, it can be quite powerful. And what, 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 it, what we, I think there was a group of us who were arrested and I think what it did do in a way was to spread more awareness about exactly what was at stake in the fracking process and then of course we had a week-long trial the following the following year and, and were acquitted which is the, the, the nice ending of that story yeah, yeah. Um, but it, 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 it does just 
baffle me that we've got a government that likes to claim that it's going to be the greenest government ever and, and so on, and yet to be pursuing you know, hard-to-reach fossil fuels, new fossil fuels, at exactly the point when scientists are saying we need to leave at least two-thirds of known fossil fuels in the ground if we're to have any hope of avoiding climate catastrophe just does seem incredibly reckless. Yeah, I think uh, it's brilliant you got arrested, and um, thank I th- you. I think it's fantastic. I want to get arrested for doing something. <laughs> I, I, can, I can show you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've always wanted to ask this question of, of a politician, and that is, I feel like I'm quite politically engaged, and I get very frustrated, and I go on Twitter and I read the headlines. But what can me, a member of the public, actually do? I'd like to feel like I'm actually helping or doing something, you know, uh, progressive, proactive. Yeah. I've been on marches, one on the Brexit march, one yeah. on the anti-Trump march. Yeah. But like, is there anything else I can physically... We're showing our colours on this <laughs> podcast. Well, one look at my Twitter Yay. feed. Which <laughs> I am also a member of the Green Party as well. As well. Oh, uh, I didn't well, know that. Card-carrying. Yeah. So, um, That's fab. But um, what can we do? What can I physically do to help out? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. And I think one of the most dangerous things out there now is just that sense that so many people have, that there's just nothing that individuals can do and 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 I think we've kind of absorbed that sense because it suits you know whichever politicians are in power to give the impression that there's nothing much ordinary and I hate that phrase ordinary people but in inverted commas ordinary people can do um so I I mean I, I know this is going to sound really boring but I wouldn't underestimate the importance of writing to MPs and I appreciate you've you've said that you're in a safe seat that doesn't sound like it's a very amenable MP in that in that place but Particularly if there, if you know, if there is any group that can can make the case that you're not just speaking for yourself, but actually quite a number of people feel the same way about about an issue, it is hard if it's a very safe seat. But but if it isn't, then MPs do take some notice of where they of what their constituents think, obviously, because their careers yeah. ultimately de- yes. de- depend on it. Um, so. You know, if, if someone comes to see me, and anyone can go and see their MP, I mean, you, you know, MPs really pretty much have to make space in their diaries to meet their constituents and say, you've got a perfect right to demand to go and see an MP. And and actually, you know, you sit down with someone for around 20 minutes and and, and, and that can be quite powerful in, in, in a way. Um, so I wouldn't discount that and all the letter writing and all that stuff, but I think, I think it's probably, I mean... With something like Brexit, I think it's probably actually about the conversations you have with, with other people in a way that, you know, if, if you can reach out to people that you wouldn't normally talk to about whatever the political issue is and just try to build the, mm. the sense at a grassroots level that, that things can change and, and, and just try to convert people at that level too, I guess. I mean, f- for me, joining a political party was the way that seemed to be the most effective way of changing things but that's not to say that you know getting involved with all of the NGOs or yeah. campaign groups or, or whatever doesn't also make a, a really big difference because I think it, it can um, and I think to remember as well that progress isn't linear oftentimes you can just feel you know I'm banging away on this particular campaign and when you know like plastics for heaven's sake I've been banging on about plastics for decades and then yeah. suddenly I mean it does help if you're David Attenborough but suddenly yeah. when David Attenborough makes uh, a film about plastics you know the, the way in which that changed um, public perception was literally pretty much overnight I mean it was extraordinary um, and, and, in, and in a very sort of meaningful way I think as well I mean I had a meeting just earlier today with one of the 
um, uh, big festivals that happens in Brighton Pride, and yeah, and yeah. and they're going to make it, you know, banned single-use plastic in the in the main park for for, for Pride, and Brilliant. and that's just one little example. But yeah. you know, those things are happening now. Have you ever had a moment, a letter, or a constituent coming in that really forced you to think differently about something? Yeah, um, <laughs> this is all going to get very deep now. But um, <laughs> yeah. prostitution. Sex work. Yeah. Um, the Green Party's policy actually is is um, that sex work should be should be legalised, regular, regularised. You know, no criminalisation yeah. at all. Um, I'd always found that quite hard because I I kind of came at it through I guess more of a perception of feeling that sex work or prostitution was exploitation primarily, not exclusively, but primarily of women, yeah. and, and came to it from that much more feminist perspective, in my, in my mind at least. Um, but, but actually, a number of constituents came to talk to me about it, and, and probably the most, the thing that really changed my mind was, was talking to sex workers themselves and saying, because my, my bottom line was, I, 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 this isn't a moral issue, it's about how do you keep people safe ultimately. Yeah, yeah. And when I was talking to constituents and to sex workers who themselves said, even if you're only criminalising the buyer of sex, not the seller of sex, yeah. um, that still makes the seller of sex less safe because they've got less time to make decisions about who they might go with or, um, yeah, there's just less, fewer protections that, that are there for them. And so, and so that did make me really think again. So luckily I'm now more aligned with our own policy, which is probably a good place to be because <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, unaligned yeah. before. But I think it's important. I think it does, it does show you can... Yeah. Yeah, it does work to have conversations. Yeah. 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 Talking. yeah. It makes a difference, doesn't it? Yeah. It really does. Yeah. I was thinking, um, obviously, politics has changed greatly in a social media age. Mm. Um, and having conversations, real conversations with people, is yeah. becoming mm-hmm. less of, often happening. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I wonder how you deal with with that aspect of politics, you know, with the, social, with the vitriol that, you, that we see every day on, on those platforms. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. I've I've kind of noticed just in the last few months almost that I scroll through replies to my tweets far less often than I used to. Mm. I mean, I used to be much more interactive on Twitter. Mm. I mean, I, I really don't much like it when people just use Twitter just to be their own megaphone and don't actually interact yeah. with people. And I'd almost not notice myself stop doing it but I realized it was because when you do scroll down the the uh, responses to your mm. to your tweet then you know most of it's pretty depressing and you just feel yeah. God, why did I do that yeah. um so I think you do become a bit more thick-skinned and I think the bad part of it is that you do then also become less accessible and less mm. you know a, a less interesting person to have on Twitter because you're you less likely to become, engage you become, you become withdrawn Yes, yeah. like, somewhat, or at least less less in dialogue. You're just yeah. you're just you, sort of you know, saying your views and actually not interacting nearly so much with people coming back. And the joy of Twitter, the real essence of it, of course, is is, is when you have some really great conversations. Yeah. And obviously, that still sometimes happens, but but less so because yeah, because there's so much other nasty stuff in the in, in the in the in the in the rest of it. Yeah, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of noise, a lot of noise. it's very difficult to break through that and find anything meaningful. Yeah. Do you think social media has changed? the way that we do politics in this country now? Well, I think it's contributed to the, to the aggressiveness yeah. around politics. I certainly think that sense that you can say whatever you like anonymously has given people massive licence. Um, 
so I think it has accelerated a kind of a, a coarsening, if I can put it that way, uh, of, of sort of political debate, which I think is sad because you can still have a really good disagreement with someone without, without resorting to yeah. you know, real vitriol and, and, and hate. Because actually hate and anger seem to be really yeah. not very far below the surface on a lot of it. I mean, some of it's very witty and wonderful too, so I shouldn't be too down on it. But more often than you like, I think you can suddenly, you know, you suddenly put your phone down and wonder why you're feeling a bit kind of, yeah. you know, just, just a bit depressed with society. Yeah. <laughs> and then you kind Absolutely. of realise, I've been reading all of this. Yeah. There is, I hate, it's a, that's a really good observation, it's a sort of simmering under the surface yeah. a little bit that seems to be fueling a lot of people's opinions online. And also the, the way in which nowadays we always think the worst of each other. That's what's always so depressing, I think, as well, that, that, that people will always put the worst interpretation possible yeah. on, on any event. You know, the idea that someone might genuinely have made a mistake or, you know, forgotten something or, or, or whatever is, is, is no defence anymore. I mean, it's, it's yeah. very cynical, I think, now. We're quick to chastise, aren't we? Yeah. Without maybe getting the whole picture yeah. or the whole story. Yeah. Because it makes a headline. Yeah, and I think it makes all of us much more risk-averse too, uh, in the sense that you're worried about how that might be misconstrued or deliberately played with, or yeah. y- you know. And yet, when you look back at some of the politicians that I admired most, I mean, people like Robin Cook, for example, or or even someone like Claire Short. I mean, they were they were themselves. They were they weren't on message. They were, yeah, you know, yeah. they were real people that you yeah. felt that you understood a little bit. And and I think you know the, the public really really responded to that and liked that. And now we're in danger of these kind of identikit politicians who you know who, who don't really dare so much to yeah to put their own personal views on stuff well, that's why i joined the green party because you come across as someone that does kind of stick to your beliefs and and, and is a, your real self but do you worry about that do you have moments where you worry about what you're saying or what you're doing for how it might be interpreted or anything like that or do you just sort of go out there and do, <laughs> do you um i mean most most mostly i, I don't worry um but i do particularly just within that context of social media sometimes i i do monitor and and sell not not exactly censor myself but but i'm more careful you know i think about oh i might just say that and oh maybe maybe (laughs) maybe i won't you know that's 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 gonna yeah Yeah, i was gonna say is it is it a safe space for politicians social media really well I i think even more worrying and and thankfully touch wood i haven't been the direct um, on the direct end of this, but but I have colleagues, female MPs, women MPs, in other parts of the country who, who genuinely are, are unsafe, not just on social media that may have started there, but you know have police protection mm. because because after the death of uh, well, after the Dick murder Cox, yeah, of, yes. of Joe Cox, um, you know threats can't be just dismissed, and mm. and and I know some some colleagues are actually having a horrendous time in, in a very real way, not as I say, just limited to social media. So, so I do worry that this 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 anger that we've talked about earlier and and, and yeah. the aggression really has spilled out into into the real world as well. But that's a reflection of kind of how society is at the moment. There's everyone, such a lot of anger. A bit yeah. Angry. I mean, we've yeah. talked before on the pod about this sort of that binary like you know you're yeah, either, yeah. it's like a kind of football exactly. team so yeah. you're either yeah. this side or you're that side yeah. and how that is probably a cause I'm sure that's fueling yeah. it yeah, no, that's yeah. Right. but you were talking earlier about cross party working with other politicians and I was always going to ask you at that point do you consider some of these politicians who are on other parties to you who might be opposed to you on lots of other things as friends almost if you're working with them that much in cross party 
And is that possible? Is that even possible? <laughs> I, I do think it's, it's possible. I mean, you know, if you, if, 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 you, if, you, if you cannot be friends with people that you disagree with, I think you cut yourself off from, from an awful lot of interesting mm. social you know, intercourse, as it were. Um, I mean, it's, it's hard, I suppose, to imagine being friends right now with Theresa May or, or <laughs> Boris Johnson or, yeah. <laughs> or some of these characters. Uh, but, I mean, there are interesting alliances that, that, that can be made. I mean, I wouldn't say... I certainly wouldn't say that Douglas Carswell was a, was, was a friend, and I'm sure he wouldn't say I was a friend to him either. But we worked together very well over the issue of electoral reform, actually. It was mm. in the run-up to, um, to the referendum on the alternative vote. So this was supposed yeah. to be a proportional system, although it yeah. isn't very proportional, but it was the concession that the Lib Dems won when they went into coalition yes. with the Conservatives. Yeah. And uh, Douglas Carswell, who um, people might recall was a conservative, and then he um, uh, stood UKIP. as UKIP, that's right. But both he and I had an interest in trying to make sure that the ballot paper that went out in that uh, referendum didn't just say, do you want the status quo or the alternative vote? In other words, do you want something that's bad or yeah. something that's very, very slightly, yeah, possibly yeah. better, but not much? We wanted to have a proper, genuine um, proportional system on the ballot paper as well, and so we worked together quite closely, trying to you know craft amendments, you know put pressure on on on, uh, on ministers. I mean, yeah. sadly, it didn't work. But but it's you know I, I yeah. think if, if if I can work with someone from UKIP, then anything's yeah, possible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's finding that common ground, I suppose, isn't it? At the end of the day, and that's what we're all trying to find with in, in connecting yeah. with people is finding yeah. common ground with each yeah. other. And I think. Right now, that is more important than ever. I mean, I, I really do worry about what's happening in terms of the fallout from Brexit, whatever yeah, yeah. actually happens with the, uh, with, with the actual vote or whatever. But um, one of my things that I'm, I'm trying to work on right now, we've launched something called Dear Leavers, which is a sort of little project to try to reach out to people who voted leave and to try to understand more about what led them to to vote the way they did because a lot of people voted leave with frankly very good reason you know that they did feel that the country is is, is hugely unequal that parts of the country never seem to get any kind of attention at all that our electoral system is such that their voices never get heard um, and when a referendum comes along that gives them the opportunity to give the establishment a bloody good kicking then then why wouldn't they really I mean yeah. it's it's not rocket science so so trying to see where the common ground is with, with people who, whose vote was very different from mine but whose analysis of the problems might be incredibly similar has been incredibly interesting. And, and we've had some quite fascinating discussions where we've had you know, a room of people where perhaps the majority are, are people who voted leave but some people who uh, voted remain as well. And we'll start the conversation off being much more about you know, what do you like about the place you come from and what, mm. what, what don't you like so much. And as the conversation ebbs and flows... It's just so interesting to see, actually, by the end of it, you know, the common sense about about how an, how, how damaging it's been that the high street has lost its bank and its post office, so no one is around in the high street anymore, and the local industry is gone, and and you know, young people can't afford to live in the place anymore, or, or whatever these set of problems are. But but quite often the conversation can actually centre on a whole set of things that people can agree yeah. are the problem. And and yes, people will have different ideas about whether or not leaving the EU has got anything to do with solving those problems but it feels to me it's important at least to have a common understanding of of what the issues are at the very least. Yeah because I, I believe that most we all have way more in common with each other than we think we do or than a lot of media outlets will tell us we do and most people are good 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, most Brexit voters probably voted for, like you just said, their various reasons that affect their towns or their families, whatever. And yet we're told Brexit people are this kind of people. Yeah. Remainers are these kind of people. But yeah. life is more nuanced than that. Yeah. And I, I do try to believe that most people are good and are leading their lives in a way that they think is is, is the right way to do it. Yeah. Um, but it's not what we're told. No, exactly. And the media, we haven't we haven't had a bash at the media yet, but, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> but um, yeah, some of the tabloids in particular, I think, are just you know stoking stoking yeah. that up. Sells papers, I guess. Yeah. Well, it must do because they keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. So it must be a yeah. successful yeah. formula. Then, yeah. But it is very frustrating yeah. when you see those headlines. Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah, it's very frustrating when you're on one side and you know what they're doing and you feel like I know exactly what you're yeah. trying to do. Yeah. And clearly, it's working. Yeah. And again, it comes back to my point earlier. I don't really know what I can do apart from not buying that newspaper <laughs> or buying a hundred yeah. and throwing them in the bin. Yeah. <laughs> I don't actually still. Yeah, but still. I can't afford that. Yeah. I'm a yeah. poor yeah. comedian. I don't know what to do. But yeah, it's it's frustrating. Giles, we have uh, something exciting to announce here in the middle of the podcast, um, and that is that we are launching blank merchandise. It's official. No way. Proper, proper merchandise. <laughs> proper merchandise. So if our listeners would like to buy blank merchandise, they can go to podcastmerch.co.uk forward slash blank. And you can get, well, you can get a range of things, can't you? You can get T-shirts, hoodies, mugs. What else? Baby grows? Baby grows. Because I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of babies out there that love the blank podcast. Um, I know mine does. Um, and you can also get, the, we've got various um, designs, didn't we? We've got one that's got our blank logo on, uh, and then mm-hmm. we've got two that are inspired by pod guests. Yeah, one of them was inspired by Rebecca Callard, who was on, I think, the eighth episode of the blank pod. Mm. And hers was to do with her video collection, which we were talked about at some length. And we thought that what video library, which was the video shop I worked in back in the nineties was an excellent name for a romantic <laughs> band of the 1980s. <laughs> yeah. And then you made this, uh, this great, uh, what looks like album cover of you and me with, um, hair from flock of seagulls. Um, so we mm-hmm. thought, you know what, let's make that into a design. So you can get that on t-shirts and hoodies and, and sweatshirts. And then we've got one that's inspired by Sanjeev Bhaskar when he talked about the three different stages of blank, fearful blank, neutral blank and happy blank and we've turned that into a design as well so um we've got various uh, designs that people can can get um and in different colors as well I'm, I'm very excited by this charles i'm really excited it feels like we're a proper thing now it does indeed um so if our listeners would would like to buy some merch um the t-shirts for example are 18 quid um the hoodies are 27 quid uh the tote bags are 17 quid and mugs are 15 quid and of course we do get a small cut as well of of everything that's sold so if you'd like to support the pod um then you can do it in this way and you'll get yourself some exclusive blank merchandise so go to podcastmerch.co.uk forward slash blank Do you think some people find that? 
I, I, yeah. I think they do, and I think they'd be right to. I mean, I think politics is broken. I mean, one of the things that's been just striking me, of course, is this phrase, politics is broken, has been used a lot just in the last few days by this new breakaway mm. group that has been formed by, by people leading Labour and, and the Conservatives. But what seems really strange to me so far, at least, is that they don't seem to have any concrete ideas about how to mend it. And, and one of the first mm. things I would suggest we do is stop trying to crowd people into two essentially big parties which have a massive range of views within them. I mean, to have in the same party, you know, Ken Clark and, and Jacob Rees-Mogg, I mean... Yeah. Board really church, it's always about being a board church, is the kind of thing. Like, if I hear the word broad church again, oh, no. like, you know, it's that But there's too, too many faiths going on yeah. in there, I reckon. So if you had a, um, a more proportional system, then you could have coalitions of different parties that coalesce around the things they do agree about, but you wouldn't have to try and force them, mm. you know... Um, in a kind of artificial way to be into these two huge blocks. Um, because for as long as we do do that, then, as we were saying earlier, I think a lot of people do feel disempowered. They do feel their voice and, and vote doesn't count. Um, it doesn't feel as if, if, as if they're being listened to, uh, and it doesn't seem to be doing anything great for the country either. So I, I do think our political system is broken. And I think devolution of some sort I mean some kind of greater powers to bits of the country that aren't London would be would be a really good thing because um, we, we are such a centralised yeah, country yeah. when you compare it with someone like Germany where you know they've got those much much stronger regions and, and so power I think for so many people feels so out of out of reach I mean how on earth would they begin to influence what's going on in London whereas at least you know if more of their decisions were being made at their own town hall they yeah. would have a greater access to and, and potentially influence over people who are making those decisions. Do you think proportional representation is going to happen? Well, I, I don't think it's impossible, um, which is useful. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, as so much right now depends on what Labour does, and there is a big campaign within the Labour Party for electoral reform, which I think is exciting. And I've had... Um, a conversation with Jeremy since he's been leader, the one conversation I have had with Jeremy since he's been leader, uh, we talked about electoral reform and, and he confirmed that um, what he said was that he wasn't against it as long as it was a form that kept some kind of constituency link and of course you can organise mm. forms of, of PR that do that. Um, but what he said interestingly was that no one ever raised it with him and he does his public meetings around the country, no one ever raises it so it feels to me like we need to be building this back up again yeah. and, and because I think you could almost plausibly make a case that you know Brexit might not have happened the way it did if people had if people's voices had been heard more effectively yes. in the years running up to it by yeah. successive governments, yeah. um, and yet because we have this system which basically just ignores, frankly, the vast majority of people yeah. for the vast majority of time, then when they are suddenly given the chance to to have their say on something, then not surprisingly, you know, they they give it a, a, a good kicking. Mm. Did you, just with that in mind, did you see Brexit happening then? Because, I mean, I was absolutely shocked. No, I didn't. I mean, that would be nice so. to be able to proclaim that. No, <laughs> right. I mean, that, that observation was based on looking back, looking rather, back right. rather than looking forward. Yeah. No, it, it, I, I was, I was, when I went to bed that night, I was completely certain it was all <laughs> sorted. Same thing, too. I couldn't believe when I woke up the next day. Yeah. Here we are. Yeah. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. Two years on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly three, actually. Nearly three, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, normally at the end of the podcast, yes. we can't believe it, yeah. We, um, we ask our guests um, how, well, we've obviously talked about blank moments, but yeah. how they would deal with blank moments for our, for our listeners. Yeah, a bit of advice. Um, a bit of advice on yeah, how to get through a blank moment. Um, 
have you got anything you could... <laughs> a bit of paper mm. and a pen, I think, yeah. is probably <laughs> the best thing. Actually, I, I discovered that um, when I was feeling just so horrendous and humiliated after my uh, failure to remember what I was going to say... Um, for some reason, I came across something that had happened to Winston Churchill. I mean, even Churchill apparently once stood up in Parliament and was going to say something and, and, and lost it, didn't, didn't, didn't remember what it wow. was. And in one of his diaries or something, he, he, he notes that he always writes things down now, so that made me feel a little bit better. <laughs> um, no, I think, I mean, apart from having a paper and pen, I think probably it's just, it's just better to own up that you're having a blank mm. moment rather than just to pretend... I don't know what you would pretend, but you know what I mean? Just, just that... Um, yeah, just just sitting there doesn't feel good. So I think I think you know all of us nowadays are so busy with so much stuff in our heads that it's not surprising if one just kind of yeah. Or you could just say you were doing a bit of meditation. You know, just, just that <laughs> yeah, moment. Yeah, that's of, true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah perfectly. I'm just <laughs> yeah. I'm getting in within myself. It's going to come out any second. Yeah, because Hansard just yeah. wrote that dot, you, dot, you were dot. just having a little dot dot dot. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Just having exactly. a dot dot dot. It's, yeah. it, it's not a blank moment anymore. It's just a dot dot dot. Exactly. Should rename the podcast. Thank you, yeah. Cool. Right. Caroline Lucas, thank you so much for thank joining you. us on the Blank Podcast. Thanks so Sorry, much. Sorry, the dot, dot, dot podcast. <laughs> well, there we go. That was Caroline Lucas. Oh. On the Blank Podcast. Man, I love her so much. She's brilliant. She's so good, yeah. Such a nice person, but just got just got all the right morals and ideas, and she speaks so well. And, oh, man, I just, why can't we just make her Prime Minister? I think we should. Yeah. I think we should. Can we start another petition? <laughs> I mean... I don't think it'll get five million votes. That. Maybe it will. No, it might, no, you never know. No, she was great to talk to, and very, um, obviously very honest, and, um, yeah, just a genuinely delightful person to talk to you know very impassioned and yeah and, and you know just yeah great. yeah and it's just it's, it's interesting to hear some of the workings behind the scenes because obviously we we hear about on the news pretty much every day especially at the moment mm. about Westminster and what's going on but you never actually really get to hear behind the scenes and hearing no. her talk about being you know just the only green MP there and not physically being able to get to all the meetings and people saying you know why you're not covering this like, I, can't, I can't get there you know I yeah. need another just... more MPs with me to help of, me out you know and the actual logistics of it yeah, and she stretched shows so thin, being 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 the only one. Yeah, but and it's interesting to hear like like that, that she gets on. You know, we hear about all these sort of uh, cross party divides and stuff, but actually, that people do get on in there, and they do, you know, and they do. It is cordial and respectful, actually, because that's the only way to kind of get through all these policies and actually kind of find a you know a reasonable end to these things. So actually, I think it is a lot more friendly maybe not best friends but a bit more cordial than you know that the media would of course have and i think when we see um on tv prime minister's question stuff it's all very uh shouty and people like you know it's yeah. playing politics with the facts and all that kind of stuff so it's good to know yeah. that the yeah, select yeah. committees yeah. that they are working off the same page a lot of time and then you know and actually they're having some constructive yeah. conversations it's not just shouting and bawling at each other <laughs> exactly i love the story about her 
uh, standing yeah, up and making a point and yeah. uh, forgetting what she, she was saying. Yeah, exactly. It, the yeah. epitome of the Black Podcast, really. It's just, yeah. a great, such a great example of that. And, and you know, always taking notes now. And in fact, I watched her last week in PMQs and she had loads of notes. Yeah, I was like, absolutely. Well, there you go. That goes back to that moment she told us about on the podcast, which is, which is brilliant. They're very open and honest, you know, stories. I really appreciate that. We've got a tweet here from Tusha Vince. Um, who's just started listening to the podcast. And he says, yeah, just starting to listen to these. What a breath of fresh air. Like having a chat with your mates over a coffee, which is nice to hear because I know we've, you know, that was some of the things we said at the beginning of starting this, that we wanted it to be like mates talking over a coffee. Um, he's now started watching Game Face after listening to the Roisin, um podcast, episode, episode two. Loved Michael Rosen. Nice bit of schmutter. If you remember that one. This is like a greatest hits tweet. Uh, and in awe of Susie Den. Can't wait for the others. So a really lovely message there from Tish and Vince, um, who uh, has obviously started listening from the beginning and is um, enjoying all the episodes. That's great to hear. Thank you so much mm. for that message. It's, it's lovely to hear people who are going back and listening to the old ones. And yeah, God, we've had some great guests. We have. We? Those were quite Imagine, early, those yeah. were early door guests, <laughs> but... Um, we had such a great chat with all three of those people. Yeah, so, um, yeah that's wonderful. If you are new, and it's, maybe this is your first one you're listening to, please go back and listen to the old ones and, and you know send us a tweet and let us know what you think as well. Yes, absolutely. We really love hearing from you. Um, and our Twitter handle, of course, Charles, is? At Black Pod. That's, that's all right. Jesus. <laughs> uh, at, <laughs> at Black Pod. And uh, that's the same for our Instagram and Facebook as well. So you can obviously find us on there. Um, and if you want to send us an email... Then, you know, a bit of a longer chat. We're always open to that. Our email address is hello at blankpod.com. Nicely done. And <laughs> uh, what is that it? What other what other socials do we have? That's it. That's it. Yeah. Oh man. I've lost track of all our social things. Yeah, we keep um, it simple. Oh. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, website. None nice. of that Snapchat and, uh, rubbish. Nah, none of that. We're too old for that. Yeah. And um, obviously, if you're listening on iTunes, then please give us a rating on, I mean, obviously a five-star one. Yeah. Um, or four-star. Anything lower. Just just don't That's worry. Just, just, just scream, it, scream it at your laptop. If you haven't got anything nice to say, then don't. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um and so yeah give us a rating would be yeah. wonderful and that that's it really yeah. that's that's the end of this week's pod what a, what a timely and very interesting pod this week indeed and i hope you've enjoyed it exactly yeah so we'll have another guest next wednesday so keep an eye out for that in the meantime enjoy your week and we'll see you again soon Media Podcast.